Thanks, Kevin, so much for that awesome story and for sharing about that. Today's scripture reading is from Mark 10, uh, verses 32 through 34. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him? Three days later, he will rise. The word of the Lord. Good morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. It's very good to be with you. We're starting a new series today, typically called What Disciples Do. These are the core values of gather, grow, and go. Uh, uh, although I'll be teaching over the next three weeks, gather, go, and then on the 27th, grow, as we launch our virtual house churches that day. Uh, but I have a great message today off uh, that disciple passage about what it looks like to follow Jesus. It's a really tricky time to be uh, preaching about the gather church when we can't gather in typical ways. But I believe if we open up our hearts, that God wants to speak to us today. So we bow our heads and pray with me now. Jesus, thank you so much for your church and how you want to use this time to grow our faith. How you want to use this time, Lord, to grow our fellowship. And Lord, we know these are challenging times for the gathered community. And yet, God, our faith is in you, Jesus. You are the author and the perfecter of our faith the one that makes all of our gatherings make sense. So Jesus, open up us now so we can learn more from your spirit and from your word. In your name we pray, amen. Our title today is called Daring to Do Like the Disciples, number one. Daring to Do Like the Disciples, Gathering Essential. We're going to be talking about this principle of gathering, but we're going to be daring to do like the disciples over the next three weeks. We're going to be looking at the disciples who follow Jesus around these core values that some 2,000 years later, the church here at Bethany and Ars seeks to be aligned with. As Anna just read, our text is Mark 10 as the disciples are marching to Jerusalem. The disciples are following Jesus, and Jesus has a special word for them. I, I just say as a way of like kind of introducing, I was raised in the church, God-fearing people, a lot of really great people around me, but if I'm honest, I'm not proud of this, my biggest faith, um, sorry, my biggest obstacle to saving salvation type faith in my own life was the church. Like I was just, I grew up skeptical. I grew up comfortable hearing the words of faith, but I was looking around and it's like I wanted to see something electric in people around me. And I was like, I was, I was judgmental. You're not supposed to be that way. But I was like, as a young kid, I remember just looking around like, kind of like, huh, is this really something? Like if it's really something, then this church should be on fire. And I was, I was too critical. It's, it's more about me than even the church. But I would venture to guess that many, 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 many people who don't follow Jesus, their obstacle isn't necessarily Jesus. Their obstacle is the church. The church that's meant to be the hope of the world. But the challenge is we are broken and fractured people trying to encompass the, the wholeness of the gospel. And so it is imperative that we as a community in the year ahead that we live into the value that our gathered worship, even when we can't gather on Sunday mornings in typical ways, that we believe that the church still matters. 
It was uh, Mahatma Gandhi who said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Ouch. That's convicting. This is a problem. Our church, Bethany, needs to look like Christ. And so today, as we look at this first value of what disciples do, we're going to talk about gather. And oftentimes when we talk about the church, we talk about Acts, which we just finished a big series, or we might lift up Hebrews to not forsake gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. But today, very purposely, I want to start with the disciples. I want to start with those friends of Jesus. We're going to be talking about gather and, and go and grow. Of What did the disciples do? Those that actually align their life by Christ. The church exists to glorify and honor Jesus. That's what the word church in the, in the New Testament means. Ecclesia. It means two Greek words. Ek, this word to call out from. And kaleo, which means to call. In other words, the word church, ecclesia, literally means the called out ones. The ones called out by Jesus in order to be different. And so church, we are called by Jesus to align our activities and our focus and our hope all about Jesus. That's what it's about. And so over the next three weeks, we'll, we'll highlight these values, but then we're going to do something a little bit different. We're also going to, to I'm going to be uh, marrying the uh, values of gather, go, and grow with practices, spiritual practices that the church has practiced for 2,000 years, because as disciples, we need to be aligned in how we think about Christ and how we follow him in our actual life. And so we'll be talking about these practices of the sacred rhythms of solitude and prayer and Sabbath rest. Today I'll be talking about gather and solitude. We must gather, but we also experience, must experience solitude in Christ. Week two, we'll, we'll talk about growing in community in smaller group setting, but also spend time in prayer. And week three, we'll talk about going on mission, but also the importance of Sabbath rest. Because at times Jesus taught thousands, but in the end it was a much smaller group. And it's not the size of the fellowship, but the intimacy of the connection to Jesus that really defines us. So today we're going to open up this value of gather. And again, tricky to teach on gathering when we can't gather in the way that we long to. But as you heard in today's testimony from Evelyn, there are virtual house churches. There are opportunities to gather in new ways, you know, from Zoom, from your own home, with other like-minded people in your, in your neighborhood who also want to see Jesus. We want to see gather look different this year, but calling us all into deeper relationship. So uh, the point of our faith is upward ascent along with others. That's the first church that began with those actually following Jesus. So let's look at what disciples dared to do to know that our fellowship matters. And that's our big idea today, that we're meant to follow Jesus. We're meant to follow together. So I want to unpack that Mark 10, verse 32 through 34. The disciples were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Jesus chose these disciples. He knew the disciples. He confirmed the disciples. He challenged at times. He rebuked them. He empowered. He loved them. He sent them out. He drew them back in. This was Jesus' church, the disciples. This was the group of people that Jesus poured into. And the disciples see what Jesus is doing in Mark 10. He's, he's marching right into the lion's den of Jerusalem at Passover to give his life. And Jesus said earlier in Mark, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. That more than just studying or coming to a place of knowledge, the disciples, the first church, were invited to participate in a whole life change. 
That's the reality with discipleship, that we follow the path that Jesus taught and walked and lived in order to be like him. Like that's the pursuit. We want to be more and more and more like Jesus. It is a pursuit. And so in looking at the first church and looking what the disciples did that followed him, I just want to take you on a brief, you know, kind of disciple uh, study. Who were the, uh, the first disciples of Jesus? They were all brilliantly flawed as we are. If you think of Peter, Peter walks on water only to, to sink as he approached Christ. He says, you are the Christ, but he also disowned Jesus three times. For Peter represents for many of us the paradox of faith. That we long to have this enormous faith, but we also at times struggle. Disciple 2 and 3, James and John, the sons of thunder. The Bible doesn't exactly say if that's a good thing to be a son of thunder or not. But these brothers at times uh, threatened to rain fire down on a town that didn't welcome them appropriately. They also lobby Jesus to be the right and left-hand man in the kingdom of God. Later, James was martyred for his faith. John, the beloved one of Christ, would be the writer of John, the writer of 1, 2, and 3 John, as well as Revelation. How about Andrew? Andrew was Peter's brother. He was the first disciple. He, in fact, was the one that told Peter, Jesus is the Son of God. There's Philip, who tells Nathaniel, come and see. But later, Philip would test Jesus, where can we buy bread for 5,000 people? There's Bartholomew who, who says, Rabbi, you're the son of God. And then we don't really see old Bart a whole lot in the rest of the scriptures. There's Matthew or Levi, the tax collector, who collected taxes in Capernaum for Rome against his fellow Jews. But Jesus said to Matthew, follow me. And Matthew left everything. He, he would later write the gospel of Matthew. How about Thomas, doubting Thomas? We know from John 20, Thomas says, unless I see the scars, I won't believe. And after seeing the, wo- the wounds, he uttered these incredible words, my Lord and my God. Thomas was said later to take the gospel to India and to die a martyr's faith, uh, death, sorry. Uh, doubt in Thomas was demonized for 2,000 years. It's like we couldn't hold space for the fact that Thomas was wrestling with faith. But I don't think that's appropriate. Thomas comes to authentic faith. If you're a person who's struggling with doubt, you're welcome here. It's in exploring your doubt in the presence of Christ that Christ longs to experience you, that you would experience him. Now, Thomas had this actually quite a profound faith in the middle of his disbelief. There's James, the son of Alphaeus. There's Jude, a.k.a. Thaddeus. There's Simon, the zealot. The zealots thought revolution would bring the Messiah to power. He was a man of, you know, kind of violence or action. And there was Judas Iscariot, who was good with money and trustworthy, who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And don't forget the women. There was women supporting Jesus financially, but following Jesus as well. These were deaconesses in the early church who were ministering as well. There's Mary Magdalene, who scripture said was healed of seven demons. She she was so grateful she never left the side of Jesus again. There was Joanna, whose husband worked in Herod's house, the enemy, Herod, who had power in Jerusalem. She was politically connected and wealthy and totally also following Jesus. And there's Mary and Salome, the women who actually followed Jesus all the way to the cross. And so, why do I tell you that? 
Because it's my, it's my hunch, like this was Jesus' church. This was the group of people that Jesus gathered with to, to do life with. And if I tell you about the group, who are they? They're fishermen. There's a former demon-possessed woman subject to many rumors. There's a political activist who hated tax collectors. There was a tax collector who was working against the political activists. There's a woman whose husband was in power with the worst Jewish leader in the land. There was se- several relative unknown people. There's two hotheads. There's one skeptic. There's several sets of brothers. This group would fail every test of discipleship if you said, give me a group of people to change the world. Because this is the thing. The power of the church was not in their success, but in their savior. And we get this wrong quite often because we think somehow that it is our metrics, it is our value, it is our, you know, how big our gathering is or, or whatever. But the only thing that gives a church its purpose is the Savior whom they follow. This is our story. Our gathering matters for one reason, to honor King Jesus and to, to model him in our life. And in this new church of the disciples who follow Jesus, it's incredible because doubt didn't disqualify someone. Gender didn't disqualify someone. Finances didn't disqualify someone. Failure didn't disqualify. This is the beauty of Jesus' church, the first church. And we are made whole by the Holy One. And so Jesus has power to align radically different viewpoints on social issues as long as those positions are held by those following after Jesus. Jesus didn't make Simon the Zealot. Listen, you'll be on my team, but you got to just cut the whole Zealot thing. Like that's who he was, but he was following Jesus. And a Zealot and a tax collector would have no reason to be in fellowship if not for Jesus. Does this sound like a church that we know anyone? Like if if you were in my inbox every week, it's like, this is my life as your pastor right now. Because we want our fellowship to be aligned by something other than Jesus. And I don't judge you for that because all of us have these core convictions of what the church should be about and who we should be, you know, aligned with and all this and that. But this, this was so encouraging for me to study this week that in Jesus' church, that they didn't take the bait that division is in, inevitable. They believed that unity in Christ was their testimony. And so they followed after King Jesus, believing that even though they were so radically different, this hodgepodge group of disciples, they believed because of Jesus, they were a gathered people. Not a bunch of individuals. Not a bunch of people like, well, hey, I'll hang out with you as long as we you know, are going to do the same things together. No, no. The whole purpose for their gathering was because of Jesus. Matthew 9, verse 10 through 13. On hearing this, Jesus said later in the scriptures, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is our church. We're the sinners. This is our story, actually. Eugene Peterson said, every congregation is a congregation of sinners. As if that weren't bad enough, they all have a sinner for a pastor. I love that. Peterson, again, said, there's nobody who doesn't have a problem with the church because there's sin in the church. But there's no other place to be a Christian except the church. So healthy churches have broken people in them. 
And so Bethany North, I'm talking to you now. If you're a guest today, thank you for stopping and watching. But for the people that call this church home, please hear me. We need you. We long for you to feel connected and to believe that you matter to our gathered community. Even though our gathering will look really different in these next couple of months, you matter here. You can't leave because we need you. And it's in our fellowship after King Jesus that we have purpose together. So the disciples were following after Jesus there in Mark, Mark 10. And then the disciples were astonished and those that followed were afraid. You got to study this this week. It's incredible. Mark 10, verse 33. It says the disciples were astonished, but others that were following Jesus were afraid. Disciples were astonished. It's this Greek word, thambeo, which means to be amazed. They're amazed. And it's a razor's edge thin between astonishment and fear. But there's a delineation. There seems to be a crowd with Jesus as he's heading into Jerusalem. Many people are afraid. What's going to happen? But those following closest are amazed. Now, I want to normalize fear because for many of us in the pandemic, we do experience fear. We do experience anxiety. We're We're not shamed by that. It's not like, oh, if you're a disciple, you'll never feel fear. No, it just means for disciples that we don't, we don't live in fear. When we experience fear, which we will, we turn that to prayer. We say, Jesus, I don't want to live in this fearful place. Can you help me turn my fear to astonishment? Jesus, can you help me be amazed at even how this situation that I'm heading into is unfolding. And so, you know, this is our hope is that we don't, we're not like these fearful followers. We want to be these astonished apostles. We want to be amazed at what Jesus wants to do next. We want to be waking up to the possibility that in the midst of everything that feels like, oh, it's so messy, Jesus can do something better in us and through us. We, got, we want to be hungering for that. And, and healthy churches realize this, that we say, Jesus, we don't want to live in fear anymore. Help move us to a place of amazement. And we want to be a place where we are declaring that God's grace is bigger than anything and any challenge that comes up in fear in our path. Romans 8.1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's in us and, and we're in him and we're in him together. And that's where as a church we have power. There is no condemnation for those who Christ is in, who we are in Christ. And therefore even in our gathered community that together as people covered by Jesus, this grace, we're moved into this posture of obedience through our gathered community. So the disciples are amazed. Other followers were afraid. And we're just saying, Jesus, would you make us more amazed in the season ahead than afraid if, if we're about you and your purposes? And, and then Mark 10 again, Jesus took the 12 aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. And then Anna read this for you. He just spells out what's going to happen during Holy Week. Listen, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to give my life. But I want you to know, I'm going to rise again. It's a little baffling, actually, that in the Gospels that the disciples forget all this and the chaos after the cross. But I, I, I don't pretend to judge them because I know in my own life, even though I'm given the promises of Scripture, that I, too, get overwhelmed with chaos. I, too, forget that Jesus rose again. I, too, forget that he has good news for me. And I start just living into this like, whoa, yeah, everything's broken. We, we forget, disciples do. But Jesus says, come here, gather around. I want you to know the whole story. I've got a plan. It's going to be okay. 
So the gather, gathering really, really matters. And for those of you like, yeah, Scott, sounds good. So you mean like in March, like we have a vaccine or January or November or whatever. Now listen, like Jeremiah 29, when the nation of Israel will sit into captivity, remember what, what God says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to what? To prosper you, not to harm you, even in captive spaces. So may you have an imagination what gathered worship looks like in this time. Through this North online worship, through our coffee houses, through drive-through events, through our virtual house churches. Like, get plugged in because the church is longing to meet and grow and declare Jesus' power even in this season. And this is my prayer for myself and for, for our whole community. God, what do you have for us right now? For our soul, for our families, for our churches, what do you have for us? And so I want to introduce briefly today's practice. Like we're talking about gathering, gathering, gathering. But there's a practice. If we want to be a a practicing community, it's really important that we experience solitude as well as being called to gather. Because if we're people that never steal away for solitude with the Lord, then we'll be busy and we'll be showing up for things, virtual or, you know, whatever. But we're also called to be able to draw away and be in solitude with the Lord. Jesus modeled this, Mark 1. The church is happening, it's growing. Mark 1, verse 32, after sunset, the whole town showed up at Jesus' door. The whole town. Mark 1, 32, 33, 34. He's healing, he's curing, he's making a name for himself. He's driving out demons, it's incredible. And what happens next is against any book on why gathered churches grow or whatever. In the midst of the biggest gathering of his young spiritual career, Jesus heads out alone in solitude to refill, to refuel with the Lord. Mark 1, verse 35 to 38. Very early the next morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place to pray. And Simon and his companions, they look for him. And they're like, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And what does Jesus say? Let us go somewhere else so I can preach there also. Church, if you never stop for solitude with the Lord, then no amount of gathering will re- refill your weary soul. Now we're made for corporate community and individual solitude with our maker. Both things are true. If you've been in a season of a lot of solitude, you're probably longing for more gathered worship opportunities. If you've been busy and doing a lot of things, your soul is probably hungering to, be, to steal away in solitude with your Lord. I mean, just last week, I stood in this very place preaching about the power of God. But if I'm honest, I was struggling with powerlessness. I was feeling just tired, weary, worn down. And we got away for a couple nights, and I was on this little cabin out, in, out on the Olympic Peninsula and, and woke up really early, and my kids were asleep, and I made some coffee, and I sat outside, and I just, I just worshiped Jesus, and I cried. I've been carrying around a bunch of hurt and anxiety and fear and worry, and I'm like, God, I just, I just went, my well went dry for a minute. Will you refill me? Will you refuel me? Jesus always longs to fill his people when we show up at his feet in solitude. And so may we be a church that's practicing the gathered worship in whatever ways we can do safely and also calling for God to fill us in solitude, making time. This is what disciples dare to do. Gathering matters, but also being in solitude with our Lord and Savior. So church, we're in this together. Like, may you take courage to, what did these disciples dare to do? They followed Jesus and they they didn't give in to fear. They were astonished and amazed. And then Jesus gathered them together and said, it's going to be okay. 
I know what I'm doing. Trust me, I'll rise again. And if you need a good word, would you refuel, refuel and refill on the good news of our Lord Jesus? That our gathering, our church matters only because Jesus says we matter to him. And may we, may we gather and may we have solitude for his glory in the season ahead. Let's pray now. Jesus, thank you so much for this moment in time where you're reminding us that even in the pandemic, our gatherings matter. We recognize, God, we're not gathering in the way that we feel comfortable with. And yet, God, we would ask that you would bless our virtual house churches. That you would bless our North Online worship and the coffee houses. Give our hungry and lonely people, God, places to gather together where they would not feel alone. And Lord, draw your people back into solitude to be with you that, you would, that you would refuel them, that you would like an empty lamp, that you would pour oil into them, that they would burn brightly here at the start of the fall season. Lord, we exist to glorify you. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Let's continue worshiping together.